Are you an ambitious, driven entrepreneur starting to feel overwhelmed, maybe a little trapped by your business? Well, I have a solution for you. It is the five-day bottleneck to breakthrough challenge, where in an hour a day, we will give you the roadmap, the blueprint, the treasure map to where you can find yourself with more free time, more freedom of money, and a more valuable business. Hope to see you soon www.bottlenecktobreakthrough.com. So as we were brainstorming, Will kept on at me saying, we need to do a podcast. And my answer to him in 2019, was it early 2019, was no, it's 10 years too late because like all the marketers who needed to have podcasts already have it and we missed the boat. So we need to just not do it. Was I wrong? <laughs> I forgot that the second gold rush was coming. This is The Real Bottom Line where we tell entrepreneurial stories about true grit and perseverance from frontline business owners themselves. Now, let's get started. Well, hello and welcome to The Real Bottom Line. Today, my guest is Susan Diaz, who is the president and mastermind behind CNP Digital. Welcome, Susan. Thank you for having me, Wendy. I'm very excited. I'm so excited too, because we, we've known each other for a few years now, so it's been interesting to watch uh, your journey and just where you've gone. CNP Digital is a marketing firm, yes? Yes, yes. Okay, cool. We are a marketing firm specializing in podcasting. Oh, cool. Okay, we're going to get into that later, but first, Susan, you are not originally from Canada. When did you arrive here? What? How did you get here? Oh, like wow. Canada. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to pretend this was my decision. It really wasn't. Um, so my husband, when I met him in 2004, had um, family in Canada and had already decided that that was going to be his final stop because at the time we were in Dubai and you don't permanently live in Dubai. It's like a, a work visa situation. Okay. Um, and I think the both of us were fairly clear that we weren't really looking to go back to India in anything other than a visiting capacity. So we had to find a permanent home. And uh, since my husband had done this, I was like, why would you go to Canada? That sounds cold. That is the first thing you think about if you uh, if you're Our not from somewhere warm <laughs> <of> here. Yeah. <laughs> So I was like, that sounds cold. And um, so I was like, okay, we'll just do it. We'll give it a shot. We'll go for a while and then we'll see. So we actually arrived here in 2009. Um, and then we um, did a little bit of putting down of, of roots. And then we said that both of our careers were going really well where they were in Dubai. And it's not an easy move financially when you come in as an immigrant to Canada, you're probably not gonna get the level of job that you used to. Mm. Um, and so we decided we'd go back for, for a couple of years and finish out where we were. So we eventually, and during that time we had Yara. So we came here with baby baggage um, and like no jobs finally in 2011. Um, and we've been here since. Um, so, and like many of the people, like the evangelist idea, like you, you come in, you believe, and then you just don't stop believing. I'm one of those people about Canada. I came here and I was like, whoa, freedom. I had forgotten that that didn't exist in my life before. Um, and just many parts of what you don't notice when you live in a, in a place like Dubai, because, you know, you're comfortable if you're, if you're, um, if you have a good job in places like that. So you tend to put your head down and not really pay attention to the socio-political situation 
Indian and various other things. So when I came here, I realized you don't know what you don't have until you start to see it again. So I was like, yay, I'm staying here. So we stuck around and that's gone. Um, people tell us it's gone well. It's been painful <laughs> over, over the years, <laughs> but I wouldn't change it. <laughs> Well, we're, I think Canada's better for you being here. So that is a good thing. Hey, thank you. <laughs> That's awesome. So um, how did you end up starting your own business? How long have you been doing CMP Digital? What was the genesis of that? So um, I think I like, as soon as we came here, it was a blank slate, if you will. People said to us that you're going to have to start a few levels below wherever you are at. So I did the rounds and I met with people for marketing recruitment and stuff. And I started to see that I really wasn't, if I was going to start from scratch, it probably wasn't going to be in advertising, which is what I was doing at the time. Um, and so I was like, if, if, if you can do almost anything, like what would I do? And then I started to um, run a chocolate farm <laughs> because years and years ago, that's what I did with my mom when I was in university. Um, and I was like, see, I always thought about it and said, you know, if I'd gone down that path, I wonder what would happen. Like maybe I'd have been hugely successful. So I decided to find out like how often do you get to come back and go down the road less taken, right? I mean, <laughs> uh, so I did that and um, that did not go well. Um, you know, uh, after, I mean, I think it was interesting. I, I got some fun out of it for about a year. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it really meant working at minimum wage for five years before I started to be able to pay off all of that equipment if I went up in size and stuff. But I think what that did give me was a return to sort of creativity. It was like, it was tactile, it was fun, it was, um, it brought other people joy, like who doesn't love eating chocolate? Um, so that's kind of like taking from there, I was like, if I went back to a marketing job, what parts of it do I want to lose and what do I want to keep? So I got to writing. I was like, okay, writing is probably what's left. And I stayed in the food space for the continuity, I guess. So I did a lot of food writing. I had my own blog, but the blog itself was not monetized. It was just really a really pretty shop window for other people to see my wares, <laughs> writing wares. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so I, I did the blogger thing for a couple of years. I think that might've been in, in you know 2012 and it, it went for a couple of years. And then I started to do, um, what would be described as ghostwriting for a bunch of financial firms and uh, legal firms, the deeply unsexy stuff, if you will. Um, because if you look at writers, people want the um, people want the stuff that's lifestyle and that's exciting and whatever. So as an immigrant who was like, I just need to find work. I was like, what does everybody else not want to do? And it usually involved finance, Wendy. Um, <laughs> That's just like a, a stab in my heart, Susan. <laughs> well, well, see, I, I wanted it though. I made a living out of it. That's right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thank you for that. So you went from writing and now you are a massive, massive proponent for people and businesses and podcasting. Mm -hmm. What took you there? My partner in the business, Will Lamont. Um, so about three, what was it? Three years ago we're 150 episodes, I guess about three years ago, uh, about three years ago, we were hitting a wall, um, you know, where we'd done a lot of work 
for people in the writing sphere and you know some strategic consulting work and it was it was okay but it just wasn't i couldn't see the growth it was just not going where i wanted it to and it wouldn't scale i i, I didn't think it could scale in that form so as we were brainstorming will kept on at me saying we need to do a podcast and my answer to him in 2019 was it early 2019 was no it's 10 years too late because like all the marketers who needed to have podcasts already have it and we missed the boat so we need to just not do it was i wrong <laughs> i forgot that the second gold rush was coming <laughs> and um, you know so yeah so we started on a lark we literally recorded on a phone and recorded i mean and edited it ourselves we nearly cried from editing we subsequently got other people to edit stuff for us but at the time we tried everything ourselves and i liked it it was so enjoyable i think audio is my medium i mean i was reminded by a couple of people that way back in university i had part time gigs working on radio in india so it seemed like an obvious choice but the reason and if i might get into mindset for a second the reason i hadn't gone there is because over my time of living outside of india i got really used to people leaning forward and asking me to repeat myself because they didn't understand my accent or um or someone sort of asking where are you from originally that's that question you know that question um where are you from originally <laughs> um and so you you get a little private and i'm i'm not a fan of discussing it i don't want to tell you my life story unless i've signed up for it on a podcast as follow you know as we have now yeah. um so i was not likely to put my voice out there you know that was mm. certainly a, a thing that i thought about um a few times and if i didn't have a wingman i might have taken much longer to do it so we jumped in with both feet into the podcast um and and then we kept at it i guess the discipline kicks in at that point you know when you say you do something not doing it is just not a part of my makeup so we said thursdays at 4am because it's called the 4am report and we like a kitschy theme so it's actually released at 4am so you know one my way of thinking about it is thursdays at 4am means thursdays at 4am not thursday ish not 4am ish you know it has to be done so um that's what we did and as we did that i want to say it's about 2 months into having this podcast one of our existing clients called and said do you do podcasts for other people and well that we do now <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> so so we started because it was an existing client and we'd already done a whole lot of other work for them this was a simple transition and it was a big enough name that between the results we'd achieved with our podcast and what we did for this firm we started to get more um people come in so that's the that's how we started and now wendy in, in 2021 we are i want to say 95% a podcasting firm like pretty much everything we do originates in podcasting sure there's other other things that come from it uh but yeah podcasting is it i want to dig down a little bit into the 4am report um which i love but you did something that i think was a little different you you did a micro podcast what is yes. that can you explain um, that a little bit So in 2019 the 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 sort of standard format of podcast tended to be the longer form interviews you know sort of an hour um in some cases a little bit shorter maybe half hour but there weren't a lot of podcasts that were 10 or 15 minutes long and that was sort of a time when i mean it still continues where people best intentions notwithstanding you don't have a whole lot of time to um to spend on on you know 
educating yourself or upskilling or whatever you might call it. Um, and I think we were like, you know, let's just give it a shot and do something shorter. The initial intention was five minutes, that it was going to be one of those, you could listen to it really quickly kind of thing, but it wasn't possible. Like when you have two people, even before you've said hello and you know gotten going, five minutes is up. So we stretched it out. And then um, I think our commitment was about 15 minutes. We haven't always kept to it. It's usually 20, um, but yeah. So that was the idea was like, let's give people stuff, you know, action-packed in a shorter amount of time. Mm. What would you say has been your top three lessons you've learned from the 4 a.m. report? Because you've been, if you say you've been doing it for three years, that's a long time. 150 well, episodes, did you say? Yeah, coming that's up. Well, we're 138 now, but yeah, okay. we'll be there shortly. Um, yeah. What What would I say? Oh my God, I, it's like a, it's like a, an MBA. Like this thing has taught me more about communication than I'd learned through 20 years of doing it in different forms. Uh, I think the biggest learning for me is I enjoy it. I, I, you know, you got to do the things that you enjoy. Like um, whether it's medium. I'm definitely medium. I'm an audio person. I often say I'm an introvert and direct eye contact makes me deeply uncomfortable. Um, so I, this is my medium. Like I can, I can hear minute things from the background and I can tell how your mood is going from your voice now. So I love it. I enjoy it. And I think channeling that is the great part of the reason we've stayed with it. So that's a big learning. When people say, should everyone have a podcast? I was like, well, it probably would be smart, but no, everyone shouldn't have a podcast. Cause if you don't like it, or if that's making you stressed out, um, then it's not for you. So I'd say enjoyment and fun is the first thing that I learned from it. Then the value of consistency, I think. Um, that Thursday at 4 a.m. thing, it's become a journalistic deadline and non-negotiable. So I've learned that consistency never fails. Like my husband, who's in finance as well, often says to me, it can't not work. It's math. You do this many things now, this many things will happen in three months. You know, So um, you know that kind of thing. I certainly see it on the regular with my podcast. Like um, people say, is it monetized? Do you have ads on it? No, no, none of that. Like not one part of our podcast is monetized. How it monetizes itself is account-based marketing. Like people come on our podcast, they introduce us to people or they directly end up being clients in some way. And, you know, when our package values are $20,000 and up, that's ROI right there. Like you need to convert, like by my estimation, three or four accounts directly from the podcast and then you're set, right? Right. Interesting. Um, so you also have- So those were two lessons. Did I oh, give you a third? A third. <laughs> What's the third lesson? Um, I think a third lesson that I've learned from podcasting, is it'll go into the anchor that we're going to talk about, is just quite how much content. I think the biggest- problem that I see is people think of podcasting as an audio medium it's like oh I've done something in audio and then it lives in audio but that's not it like in this instance right now you could use video from this you could use transcript into copy you could do any number of things so real we call it a flywheel like a podcast is is a marketing flywheel it takes a really long time to get going but once you move it that momentum will just keep going like you know we at this point in our podcasting calendar i'd say out of every 10 episodes about four or five are repurposed they're not repurposed like randomly thrown up again but they're just mixed together like five episodes on you know hiring or five episodes on planning or whatever it is so um it really i've seen that like the value of building a flywheel it gets much easier when you have a core piece of infrastructure that belongs to you so and and so you've talked about that but the anchor content 
as a business owner who's trying to promote um, ourselves, what is anchor content and why do we need it? I think as a business owner, you one of the things that I hear often, this is certainly my problem, certainly the problem I hear about at least uh, four, four or five times a day is bandwidth, right? Like you, we, we, we're all stretched to, to the maximum. And when it comes to marketing, I don't know what it is, but with writing, with hopping on videos, with doing that kind of thing, we tend to fall behind. Like that is the last thing you get to. Um, and I think something like this, why I call it the anchor is you're firmly dropping anchor in one place and let's say that's a podcast or it's a video series or you know in the case that the founder or the marketing person whoever it is is a very good writer it could easily be like a publication of some sort right I mean um, so whether it's audio video or written for uh, three key formats pick one large infrastructure piece and then from it you break down so that's what we call an anchor like when you um let, let's say a podcast is your is your anchor within a podcast you've got like i said audio episodes it is i would argue your responsibility to fully use it like people say you should be distributing until non-intuitive levels now what is that what does that mean like you don't send it out again and again here's my podcast listen to it you, you're going to get a level of blindness what you do need to do is intelligently repurpose it so like let's say this particular episode of the real bottom line you may want to put it out as a podcast you may also want to like i said pull a few videos from it um you may want to pull videos of what you said in the thing with, and completely leave out the guest right i mean because the whole intention of showing up in these interview formats partly is guest expertise but partly it's also to showcase a host and their knowledge and you know that sort of thing so that would be the first it's the hard one wendy i'll tell you the first one that i've mentioned which is the video is hard because not a lot of really good video edit editors exist for cheap there's a lot of them but like maybe for us to afford that sort of thing and regularly be like like gary vaynerchuk or whatever be like oh make everything i say into a video is not an easy or budget-friendly option um, so in that case the next step becomes writing mm -hmm. you want to make sure that you um, you're pulling out the transcript um, and then using it into in multiple pieces and if you look at it, the average 30-minute um, interview in a podcast form I would say you could do nothing less than 10 pieces of content out of it. Like you've got your audio, you've got like the possibility of snippeting up the audio. So one or two snippets of the audio itself, maybe two to three videos out of that half an hour content. You want to write one longer blog post. Think about tip sheets, like, you know, um, like smaller or whatever visuals um, and, and really juicing the heck out of it like as many pieces of content as you possibly can so that's what we call an anchor it's you've got four formats you've got audio visual video and written and whichever format you create in you want to pull it out into all the other formats and that's called um an anchor oh that's very interesting i have heard about we're doing kind of the same thing with the real bottom line but um i think that sometimes if the bandwidth thing comes into play Right. So yes. I guess that's why it has to be you, you do have to have a team to help you on this stuff. You really do. Yeah. You really do. You can certainly achieve it with uh, uh, numerous freelancers or giggers. But I think what people deeply underestimate in that situation is how long it takes to pull the pieces together. You know, you go back and forth with the writer, you go back and forth with the editor, you go back and forth with the design person. And there's a level of um, 
there's a level of um, time spent there, which we tend to not really factor. So mm. now I found it interesting, Susan, I was on your, uh, we did a podcast together for a little while. Um, and it was a, a collaboration of a bunch of different business owners. So it was you, uh, marketing, myself and finance, we had a lawyer, we had a business coach, and we had a mindset coach. It was yes. uh, super cool. And now you've kind of said, let me help you put your groups together for your podcast. Tell me yes. about that and why would why why would, would someone want to participate in that? Um, I think it's the amplification. I mean, this this need we did this before the pandemic, right? So that I think it was already starting to to become um, like networking in audio form or masterminds is what we like to call it. It's like, you know, you get in masterminds for all kinds of other things and we do well because first accountability and second amplification of our messaging. And I think the same thing extends to podcasting and, and, you know, it gets easier. If you remember, we would, we were crazy. I think we'd get together for three hours at one shot and record five episodes and one person, each person was the moderator of a separate episode. And it was, it was great. Like for the, for the season that we did it we really enjoyed it um and I think there's lots of opportunity I thought that in the last you know 20 months or so a lot of other people would have done that because it seems obvious like how has everyone not done it is what I keep asking myself um but they haven't so I've got I've gone back to that and I'm like I don't know what it looks like I don't know if that is the sole plan for us it's amazing the sole plan for us but I think it's very very necessary in the market right now like you know we're missing out on so many events if that was a part of your life before like if you if you did go to in-person events and workshops and masterminds there is it's it's translated in many cases to to virtual and it's great I, I I often say that I would upload myself to a cloud if I could because this this is the way that I prefer to work that said there is an impact on on my bottom line in the year and a half of the pandemic because I am good at being in small group events communicating with people letting them see a piece of my brain and then they'll hire us yeah. so that went away and I started to see that parallels can be achieved with podcasting so um, so that's where we're headed. I think right now, the way we're having success with it is adding panels to other people's existing podcasts, because starting to match people and get them going takes a bit longer, I think. And, you know, you may want to do this, but this might not be a two month decision. This might be a six month decision. So what we have had success with is like, oh, Wendy, you're doing this. Do you want to add a panel to your podcast? And what might that look like? And then you put it together and figure out how that works. So that's kind of where we are at with the journey that's interesting I think that um trying out podcasting like that might take some of the pressure off people thinking they have to be the only person asking questions or moderating so it allows for a little um spreading out of the workload if you will it really does and the energy right I mean there's something about that you you could show up um as an example the lawyer in our group um shout out to Andrea Henry on the day that we shot those images for that podcast insight she was sick as a dog like she was really really unwell but we'd all planned it and she put on her game face she showed up we got it done because that's the power of of people sort of urging you on you're not going to fail someone else but you probably fail yourself a few times um recently you've kind of gotten a little passionate about some things and I know a lot of your posts talk about 
um, how you should actually be presenting yourself as a company in the world these days, in particular, like around messaging and, and being um, careful about what you say and when you say it, given how the mood of the world is shifting all the time. And you've started a new podcast. Um, is this more of a passion project, this particular podcast, or how would you characterize this one? Uh, I think, yeah, I think it's sort of a, it's a responsibility project. I think I feel like oh. I need to be doing something, giving back in some way. And I never really knew what that looks like. Is it, is it service in actual, like showing up and giving your time? Is it, is it contributing money? And I've done those kinds of things along life. But this particular thing, why did I start getting involved with um, commenting on, uh, on the state of the world? Because usually, uh, again, going back to my, my raising as, as, a, as an Indian um, girl in the 70s, um, we were not allowed to comment on things like this. You're not allowed to have an opinion about about most things, keep your head down and keep going was the um, was the teaching. So I, I think I lived like that for far too long. And during the pandemic, particularly, I think in June of last year with the murder of George Floyd, um, there was a lot of people who didn't know how to, to react to the thing. Like, do I say something? Do I not say something? Um, do I sort of like stop the programs that I'm about to launch this week? Do I, um, you know, like, do I speak up and talk, say, like talk about experiences I've had and um, crisis communication became a thing. Now crisis communication is a wonderful thing, but it's reactive in many cases. A crisis hits you and then you react to it with hopefully one of several plays that you have planned out ahead of time. But I think the pandemic showed us that that's not necessarily possible. You can't plan for all eventualities. So that's when I started to think about it. And I was like, so many people want to know the answer. So maybe there's some principles to it. And there are, there's principles to it. And how do you, how do you break it down? Because it's no longer, I think, it's no longer transactional. Marketing has changed a little bit from being transactional to being relationship building. It's These are really boring words and they sound cliched, but it's changed to relationship building and education and showing up and delivering the goods, whether or not you've, um, you've asked for it, right? Like, it's not a, like you pay me and I will give you my wisdom. Right now you are really educating people and creating demand for yourself and your brand. So when, when we started talking about crisis communications and we found a number of people was like our existing client roster, as well as a few people who, who came in and out just for crisis advice, um, that I enjoy that. I enjoy the, uh, the energy of, of that. And the answer is always the same, Wendy. Like, what are your values? What should I say? Well, what are your values? And it sounds like those values are sort of forgotten things that sit in a PowerPoint somewhere once you put it in there. But the last couple of years has really showed people that, you know, you need to go back to that and um, think about it. Like, what, what, what are you here to do? Like all of that Brene Brown, Simon Sinek awesomeness, which is you've got to get back to why am I here? Why am I doing this? And why does this bother me? And then you can quite easily come up with it. So then we, this idea of ABC DEI, which is just, you know, ABC, or rather DEI needs to be the new ABC. Um, it was on my mind for a while. I think the intention was to make it a children's book because I have a 10 year old and I was wanting to, she asks me questions around race and um, sexual orientation and various things like that, which I'm not always prepared to answer, but I do the best job I can. And I feel like, um, It'd be fun if you had it in a in a kid book format, which could work for adults and kids. But however, I didn't get around to that because it's it's always a nice to have 
put it on some Trello board somewhere and it just sits there. Um, so I eventually um, started to chat with my friend and industry colleague of yours, Rohini Mukherjee. She's, in, um, she's a PR maven. Um, we talked about this and, you know, started to think about maybe the podcast is the way we do a podcast and then stuff from that could become a book, maybe not a children's book, but some type of book. So there was a plan to get started. And then that week, Dr. Seuss's books, a bunch of them, about six or eight books were canceled because they had deeply racist and inappropriate content. So I posted on LinkedIn and said, oh, look, those books are gone. It's a good idea to look at our children's bookshelves because sometimes from nostalgia, we give our kids the exact same books that we grew up with. And we really need to rethink that. The interwebs did not like that, Wendy. Uh, people called me a Nazi for banning books. People um, came at me. My standard posts probably get like a couple thousand views and, you know, five to 10 likes. Um, this one, like, so <laughs> everyone came after me. It made me very, very sad. But that was the day that I decided that if this is still happening, when you step out of your safe circles and go to a strange place, if this is still happening, I asked a guy on the thing, I said, are you mansplaining racism to me and he's like well just because you have lived experience doesn't mean you get to say you know whatever you want um and yeah so that was the day I decided it's like we're going to make that podcast I'm going to find time um and so right now it is one of those things which is purely education I think we're doing it because um there's all sorts of ways to be visible in my world. I think you can choose any number of things to talk about besides your day job. And inclusion is kind of what I chose to speak about because a bunch of experiences led me to that. Like whether it was in our personal lives, my husband's had issues with work. I've had issues in workplace. Um, I've seen clients have issues over and over again. And so, you know, like we said, that lived experience is kind of what you wanted to translate. And again, um, podcasting is our medium and finding those people, bringing them and having those conversations is something I already knew how to do. So I chose to put that into, um, into my, shall I say, brand of these are the things that I stand for. It's not easy though, because people wow. will take marketing advice from me, but they have a hard time if I speak about inclusion. Like most recently, I had a, an episode with um, someone from BDC where we were talking about um, alone. Um, and part of it is towards thinking about what's next for ABC DEI, which is a content product of some sort, not like not service, like not training on diversity or any of that, because we're not experts at that, but we can curate and create product out of it. So when I was talking to him, he says, well, you know, I mean this in the nicest way possible, but what is your expertise in, in um, diversity? And I'd love to have the smart answers ready for things like this. I have them much later. If I had had it in the moment, what I would have said is if I had a dollar for every time someone asked me about my body of work, I wouldn't need this loan. Um, but <laughs> that's yeah. just the way it goes. And um, yeah, so it is, it is a project that right now is learning. It's a way for us to show up and give back. And the long game is to convert it into um, self-directed, inclusion learning so using the principles of content whether it's videos or podcasts and that's why I'm so passionate about podcasts is because I think we've we're doing a good job of utilizing it for marketing I don't think we've even begun to scratch the surface of what's possible with education certifications orientations um, and the ways in which it can be used in the regular business world hmm. 
So what's next for CP Digital? Um, I think we're going to, we've consolidated this year in podcasting. Um, we're going to stay here for a while. I think our, our intention is to bring podcasting out of the bubble that it is in. I think there's a, a few technology companies and um, a few sort of larger firms that utilize it really well, but it still hasn't gone into the mainstream as much as it should and can. Um, so I think we'll do that. We'll, we'll get as many people as possible to see the value of podcasting if it's for them. Um, what's next is starting to think about helping people take their podcast beyond marketing. I think it's like what, what does I that mean on. beyond marketing. Um, like I, I think the first step as far as we're concerned is to help with, um, with orientations. Like you, it's kind of think of course meets podcast. So people have learned how to use courses to train teams, to train um, like, or to onboard external people, you know, to, to sort of put together various processes and there's room for podcasting in that kind of place. So I think that's an easy shift, whether it's internal podcasts, private podcasts, group podcasts to break down silos. Um, and I, and this is not only for the large firms. I think this can work. This can work for a company the size of yours or mine, where we we are like, okay, here are some things that we need anyone who's a partner who works with us to know. Presenting it in podcast form is as much of a, a necessity, I think, for for accessibility reasons. Number one, and honestly, if someone like me, and there's lots of us, I just learn way better if someone's speaking to me than even though I'm a writer and I love reading and all of those things, this is definitely my medium. So I think more people will start to utilize it. There are a few software firms that have gone down the certification direction where just like you can watch a video and get your credits for, for whatever it is that you're ongoing, um, what is it called? Continuous ed kind of credits. You can, you, yeah, you can also get them with, um, with podcasting is my hope. Is there uh, Apple, Spotify, all these places that you can post your um, podcast? Is there one that you like better than the other or places that people should be for sure? I'm definitely Spotify over, uh, over Apple. And that's more of a user behavior comment. I think as far as people who are starting their podcast is concerned, you probably want to think about having the holy trinity, Apple, um, Spotify, and Google, because it's a, a small matter of getting the, the um, RSS set up. And once you've got the podcast, you might as well put it in a couple. I tend to not say Amazon in that list immediately because Amazon's terms of service are a little iffy around ownership and what they're allowed to do with your content so right now that isn't one of my oh go on Amazon isn't something that I'm saying if you want to there's no harm uh, but like that's those are the ones the reason I said Spotify um, is because I find it um, firstly they're investing like hell if you look at their acquisitions and if you look at their trail you can pretty much you can pretty much predict where the podcasting market is heading um, but I find things like the speeds, they have more options of speeds to listen to. Um, they So you can do 1.2, 1.3, 1.5. Um, and then they also have skipping with 15 second buttons back and forth. And sometimes mm -hmm. as I'm, I'm listening, um, I need to be able to skip short amounts. And Apple only allows you to skip 30 seconds. And in 30 seconds, I could miss a whole point. But in 15 seconds, I won't. So these sorts of things where I think they've made it really easy. So that's why it, Spotify is my preference. 
Hmm. I'd like to open up the floor now for some questions for Susan. Melanie, do you have a question? I do. I'm going to go back like really in the beginning. I was really interested to hear about your journey and you touched on your experiences as a new Canadian and the, the, um, it was almost like a silencing of your voice by these questions you would get. I'm blown away myself that people had trouble understanding you. I mean, <laughs> your English is so clear. It's so beautifully spoken. Um, but how often do you think like as uh, that happens, you know, from your, your own experience and you touched later on on other issues around inclusion, like the silencing of voices that that saddens me. I'm not surprised to hear it, but that particular um, example. It happens a lot, I'm afraid. Mm. Um, I think that whether it's reported and talked about or not is a whole other thing. But mm -hmm. I'd say if I've got um, 10 friends and acquaintances who are sort of immigrants in various stages of their journey, mm -hmm. about nine of them will tell you similar stories about gaslighting at work, about, um, you know, like being passed over because of someone else. It's gotten better. I want to say the last two years has made a bigger difference than any other time in history, purely mm -hmm. because I think in many cases, I don't love this word, but, you know, it's it's what people used as their cloak of safety is unconscious bias. It's like, I didn't know that. And I really think in 2021 with search engines at your fingertips, I didn't know that is no longer an excuse. Um, and so... And also the assumption that the person or the marginalized people on the other end of the conversation, that it's their job to educate you, um, that you somehow are like, oh, but what about this and why this and why that? Mm -hmm. uh, well, can I Google that for you is my cheeky <laughs> question back. Um, so I'd say for someone like me, it happens a little bit less, Melanie, because I'm I'm an introvert so i'll stay in my very safe circles which is not great sometimes but i will like when i say safe circles i don't mean to imply that it's a an all immigrant circle i mean it's a place where i'm not going to in fact i take myself out of my comfort zone as much as i can but it will be safe spaces where it's boardrooms and work and whatever it's not strange places um i think it, people come into contact with this a lot more when you're in sales and when you're in you know meeting multiple people um yeah, so I, I, to, your, to answer your question, it does happen a lot. And it has changed. Um, I think people are afraid now to say something if it's if it's going to be perceived wrong. And sometimes that's even worse, where you're like, oh, I don't want to say anything because I'm afraid I'll get it wrong. And then what do people say these days? Or what do you call yourselves? Or, you know, those kind of passive aggressive, I call it microaggressions, I think. It's like you don't really think about it. And this very smart person used an analogy. Um, I said, it's like paper cuts. It's small and it's non it's inconsequential when it's one um but then at the end of the day if you've got a bunch of paper cuts it adds up and you keep you look at your hands and you're like why is it stinging well because you heard of this stuff through the day whether it's oh where's that accent from or can i touch your hair and i'm not even kidding i've seen this happen yeah. with not my hair my hair is not interesting to anyone but um <laughs> that's with similar things around hair and it's so intrusive and so disrespectful and still there's a lot of ignorance around it though isn't there yes, you know there is. not to excuse it because it's not an excuse as you said anyway thank you for speaking to your experience you're welcome I think you know what it's uh, I often say to people it's like it's hard when anytime you have 
a homogenous group of people and i come from india it's mostly indians in india um and it's not a lot of people who are running off and trying to make a life there either so it tends to remain homogenous uh but in north america in europe and many other parts of the world where the agenda is to remove that the agenda is to bring more people in and you know to to what what can that do for the economy what can that do for um the future so when that is the plan i think a higher level of self-directed learning needs to happen um because in toronto you're probably going to bump into like people from all over in the course of like a 10-minute walk so um i think it's time to start understanding and it's not just i often say that in 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 a, in a, in my case it's a visible minority it's not like you can hide it right i can't hide the fact that i am a brown woman and that's a double whammy over there right i mean mm. um but there's um there's all kinds of other bias you know whether it's the way the healthcare is structured for people who are transgender or the way that um you know like disclosure of identity is people are still in the closet at in work situations because it's hard to it's not so much that oh we're welcoming and we we want you to to be yourself but it's not that simple because coming forward and saying that you open yourself up to curiosity you open yourself up to um you know just becoming an activist like this one one woman said to me it's like even an activist wants to have dinner sometimes and not have you ask me questions about how i can improve like the world right so it's you you take on that mantle i think and that's annoying so that's why a lot of people probably hide interesting yeah. nicole you had an interesting comment in the chat i'd love if you brought that up and maybe um talked a little bit about that and you and susan can engage on it it's hi susan <laughs> hi nicole i was reading your comment over there belatedly <laughs> so i've just just real quick i've been in the sales and marketing world for a long long time and it just in 2015 began be, entered the entrepreneurial world and you're right i i just i resonated when you were talking about the relationship piece and what i've noticed in this entrepreneurial world it's and just my it's just my experience so i can only can speak for my experience is what you're saying is people are realizing that they have to build relationships and people are realizing all this stuff i'm like guys that's sales right people still think yeah. of sales as the slimy car dealership guy who's trying to sell you the car but that's that's not what sales is right no so my point was just that in big companies you think companies like apple right apple have kind of mastered that relationship piece because you think of everything they do in marketing wise it always comes down to the person right they're they've been really good at that and i think now us as smaller companies that are we're so focused on marketing, right? Everybody talks about marketing, 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 marketing. And a lot of times when I see people it's like, okay, you've got your marketing, you just you're just not selling. <laughs> I I <laughs> not true. You're building the relationships and in in doing those relationship pieces. So that that was also nice when I hear when I heard you say that I was like, yes, like <laughs> it's so true. Resonated with me. That line is quite blurred now between marketing and sales. I think in the end um they have to work together heavily in in the case of many smaller firms they are the same people like i am the sales person of my company in, exactly. in the majority um and so i think really learning to do that and i've spoken to a few people in, on our podcast who helped me sort of see that as well is like just not taking away some of that slimy and icky and whatever and if you truly do believe in the value of what you offer which you need to learn to do 
if you haven't done that, maybe that's your first for any business owner listening. If you don't truly believe that the thing you're doing is going to blow the other person's mind, you, it's it's hard. It's hard to sell it. It's hard to market it. It's hard to do anything with it. So um, I think that that piece, as soon as you've got that, you get better at relationships. You get better at relationships where you sit down and you're like, let's just talk about the theory of podcasting or let's talk about you know like stats or results or where the industry is going and then people get to see a piece of your brain right and that's how relationships go and i think that's very valuable that's right and in my world people use people that ask me you know what makes the best salespeople or why are they so great and i said they all have this one thing in common and it's they're genuinely curious Someone who's genuinely curious about the other person is going to, the one who's going to learn the most about that other person, learn about what they need, their problems, et cetera, et cetera. And they're yeah. the ones that uncover all the stuff that they need. So it's, it's the, the one that's the most curious is usually the one who's the most effective. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's true. I, I, I say sometimes um, that, you know, what, what we do is our job is ask open-ended questions, good ones, then shut up and write really fast, right? I mean, you want, <laughs> you want to be able to do that. And I, most people won't even notice that because that's not their way of doing it. And then I remember I was in a meeting with McKinsey, um, and one of the women who was, uh, uh, she was, she was one of the project leads. She's like, you're writing this down. You're asking open-ended questions and you're writing this down. And I was like, you recognize it, do ya? <laughs> that is effective. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. Um, that's cool. Well, uh, any other questions or comments that you guys have? No, it's Friday. Yeah, no, I do. I, you know me, I always have another one. <laughs> really resonated with what Nicole said, and we've had great conversations as well about this. And the it for me as an entrepreneur, my first I was an educator before, and you know my first um, foray into the business world was entrepreneurship. So um, I was always doing all the things. And to me, sales, and I do see that there there are different parts of a process. But the marketing and sales, so when Nicole explained to me how divided they are typically in like big corporations, I was like, really? I couldn't see the division, you know, because they were one and the same. So anyway, I just wanted to say that that follow on. Yeah, you're right. There is some blurring in the early stages, but even at the smaller stages, Melanie, like I, when, anytime we've had clients who've, who seem like they're, they've got the perfect messaging you you're killing yeah. it on a few fronts and it's yeah. not actually converting into into um sales that's when you start to see where the difference is yes and i know and nicole talks a lot about this too i know with her clients as well and we've had those conversations what is a sales process it can't just be all messaging yes. but yeah interesting yeah and where interestingly where people fall down is in the um in the direct contact, in the asking, in the, can I have a meeting with you? And Wendy will attest to the fact that when we were in the same business mastermind together, this, I struggled with this deeply. Like, I don't want to like ask someone for a call because that feels like it's imposing. And that mm-hmm. feels like, you know, you, you're just sort of icky and you feel like you need to take a shower. Um, but that's, that's not it at all is what I've realized. It's like, I, I have, this is for you, Wendy. I speak to three to four people in the course of a day now, not in a week. <laughs> and I enjoy it because you learn so much. And I think the pandemic has done a lot towards that. So getting on, whether it's a phone or an interview or something and just starting somewhere um, is, is an, a very good idea. 
would, I would, I would add, I would add and say, if, you know, if you're the guide, right. If you're, if you're seen as the guide and you're the, you're the person who's going to have value and then you're comfortable and you're confident with that, that most people will resonate and they'll hear that in you. So when you do ask and say, let's have a call, most people will be like, yeah, like, mm-hmm. right. Yeah. I get to have a call with you. That's amazing. Um, and that's kind of where you want to be because they've, they've gotten to know you and they know that the value that you bring on a call. Mm-hmm. Mm. That's true. Mm. You don't monetize your uh, podcast at this point, Susan. When do you think it is appropriate to do so? I think quite immediately if you if you're if that's the path that people want to follow. Uh, I think once you've got about, you know, 20 episodes or so under your belt, you definitely want to put together your sponsorship packages or your various things. I think my advice would be rather than run ads on, on podcasts initially, um, you may want to think about like um, packages which involve, you know, an episode where there's some relevance of the topic that you're talking about, a little bit of host endorsed um, material. Maybe somebody gets to sponsor a season. Maybe they have something like that over running ads in podcasts that would be my um my first step if you wanted to monetize um beyond that there's a number of the um hosting platforms whether it's libsyn or sounder or um i think it's captivate they do help you sort of discover ads and the ability like so if people are looking to if if people are looking to sort of advertise on podcasts there are there's various ways in which it's like a marketplace where they'll hook you up with people who are looking for it. But podcast ads in general at this time are quite cheap, if that makes sense. It's not like putting an ad on a TV or whatever. So as someone who's a host, it's a lot of work for relatively small amounts of money. So it might, might need to be a long game. You might need to plan for it for about like six to 12 months before you start seeing any result. So is it pay, do you get paid by the download then on those ads or is it a fixed fee? How does that work? I think it's a fixed fee. Not a lot of people, I mean, you could go find out pretty much anything in the public space now, but not a lot of people will, unless they're the very large podcast, not a lot of people want to share with you. Or it's it's hard as well to get the actual data. Like you get some from, from um, Apple and you get some from Spotify, but they tend to, like you said, measure downloads. Some of them will give you listens, but it's really hard to establish like a firm number for mm. people. So whenever people say these things like a hundred thousand downloads in so long, or this many million, blah, blah, I always question that just a smidge because um, it's hard to definitively say what your numbers are, which is why I feel like ads that are priced by reach are probably not the greatest idea. You want to price the ads for quality. You want to price it for like, you will be able to reach a very small but mighty audience of entrepreneurs. And and for that pleasure, this is how the package is structured is probably how you want to do it. Cool, cool. That was a good pause. Thanks guys, it's awesome. Uh, I hope everyone, th- Susan, thank you for getting up so bloody early because it's, uh, she's I in know. Toronto, so it's, she does this at 7am her time and look, and you look gorgeous too. Like, good God, your I day's going to be you. awesome. I, I, I washed my face and put on some lipstick to make it look good. <laughs> <laughs> well, Susan, I really want to thank you for coming on today. Cause I have to tell you, I learned, I, I've been podcasting for six months or so, and I just learned way more in our, uh, <laughs> 30 minutes together so that was fantastic so thank you susan thank you so much wendy this is awesome how do people get a hold of you if they want to chat with you about podcasting 
cp.digital is our uh, website um, and I'm a, a LinkedIn junkie. Um, you probably find me on, on LinkedIn um, and I'd respond quite quickly as long as you're not pitching me something. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, that has been The Real Bottom Line. Thank you for listening to The Real Bottom Line. This show is produced by Black Star Wealth. Executive producer, Wendy Brookhouse. To learn more about the show or to contact us, go to blackstarwealth.com.